Welcome back, everybody, to Discussions Around a Table. This is going to be episode number 13. I'm joined here today by Tony. Um, we don't really have a set topic today. We'll kind of see what mine's out. So I'm guessing by whatever title I decide to put on this episode, you'll kind of get an idea of what we're going to talk about. But, Tony, go ahead and kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay. Um, yeah, I just had a semi – I don't think it's a unique upbringing, but my dad was in the Coast Guard, so we – Moved all over the place when I was a kid. Um, lived in Washington, lived in Wisconsin, lived in uh, California, uh, Colorado, um, and went to four different high schools. So moved all over the place, moved all around, met a lot of different people, a lot of different experiences, lots of different cultures. Um, after I graduated, and I was very, not very guided as a child, so I kind of just was all over the place. Now, do you uh, say that's a product of being a military, I mean, a sense of a military brat, or do you think it's because, you know, just your parents being a little more unique style, or? I think for our family, it was more, I think, instability. Yeah, kind of being all over the place. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like, I, you know, talking to my kids now, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guide you right, you know, to where I want you to go. And, yeah. you know, like, I want you to, play sports and do all these different things and i didn't have any of that yeah. i didn't play any sports um no so, so you see you went to four different high schools was that four high schools in four years or did you do more than a year at any one place yeah it was four different high schools in uh, four years so essentially every grade of high school you're at a different school yep yeah so it's definitely be hard to get into sports if by the time you'd even make friends or find a team or a sport you'd be moving on to the next town state or what have you that it would be yeah difficult. yeah yeah, I, I played basketball a couple of years, did pretty well at that. But, yeah, there's just so much instability and it's just so, you know, nobody pushed me, you know. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, uh, I think you kind of need that a little bit. Um, but, yeah, four different high schools. It was really interesting, uh, terrifying going to a new school every single year, mm-hmm. um, meet new people. Um, definitely kind of a make or break you. Mm-hmm. And uh thing that, uh, you know, looking back with some retrospect, I really think it was pretty awesome to be able to have that experience, you know, because it yeah. makes it really easy to talk to people, bring up different things, having a lot of things that are in common with lots of different people. Um, so now, so was that a different state each time? It was a different state each time. Which so did you, did you find that some states or I guess some schools were more open or accommodating to the new kid coming in or is it kind of the same experience initially at each school? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was, uh, unaccommodating yeah people don't like outsiders and uh you know i think rite of passage right for everything Mm -hmm. you have to prove yourself on every level of everything you do Uh, when you're a kid nobody tells you that you don't know that you just kind of um i was fortunate it was kind of funny because i lived in uh california um probably like the first eight years of my life and what part uh southern california actually down in san diego um small town at the time right next to camp pendleton called oceanside and uh right on the beach pretty cool place um full of orange groves and and horses in the hills and uh i just surfed that's what i did and then we moved to wisconsin and that was a huge huge shift yeah going from sunny southern california to wisconsin where it's cold and snows more often than obviously in california which was really cool to to uh, 
a kid that only knew sunshine mm-hmm. and blue skies. And so, yeah, I love the snow, love the cold, love the rain and the storms and all that. Um, and I felt kind of fortunate for that because at the time, you know, that song, California Lovin', mm-hmm. like everybody, you know, it was in the late or mid nineties, I guess everybody knew Southern California and it was like a cool place. So it was a little bit easier kind of transitioning in the town we moved to was 5,000 people. So it was like going from, you know, in Southern California and San Diego is like sprawled out, but yeah. it's a couple million people. Um, and yeah, moving to a little John Deere, literally it was a, a John Deere factory that kept that town going. Yeah. And it's still there. Um, so what's there that brings the coasty there? I mean, is there a, is it part, are you riding the Great Lakes there that he was doing the Coast Guard for, or is it? Yeah, yeah, Great Lakes, he did work there. Um, and this particular place, there's a uh, world, it's like one of the largest marshes in the world. Okay. Yeah, and so he did work there, and he traveled a lot, actually, from the spot. So, um, yeah, I always, everybody always asks, you know, like, what were you doing in Colorado? What were you doing? And, and it's kind of funny, because they're all over the place. Man. So <clears throat> I mean, I mean, you know, to the person doesn't really know anybody you'd fear a coast guard you'd be east coast or west coast or somewhere down in the gulf and you know potentially matt i believe they have you know i know like deployments do happen like overseas and that kind of stuff i don't know if they necessarily have bases overseas or anything do they um you know of? N- i don't think so i mean i know they they travel with navy now it's changed a lot since my dad was in but mm-hmm. yeah they um Yes, I mean, everything is generally stateside. But then, you know, in, in my lay perspective or, you know, in experience, I would have guessed that, yeah, you're somewhere on Washington, Oregon, California border, like, or not border, but coastline, or, you know, all the states on the East Coast, you know, probably both sides, obviously, of Florida, Texas, Louisiana, all that kind of stuff, and then up in Alaska and Hawaii. But, I mean, I couldn't imagine if, you know, someone said, pick a state that's not on the coast, where would it be? I couldn't imagine any of them besides, you know, the Great Lakes. I understand the Great Lakes because, I mean, the if you're in the middle of the Great Lakes, some of them kind of look like an ocean. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, Colorado, yeah, I would have never guessed there was a Coast Guard base anywhere in Colorado. Yeah, they weren't. I don't I don't think that he was actually on any base. I think it was, he was doing something. I'm not even 100% sure what he was doing with the Coast Guard at those times, but mm-hmm. he wasn't on a boat. He was, you know, I don't know. He, I know he was traveling a lot. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, go to Wisconsin next. Little 5,000 town and then where you go to next after that um boulder colorado okay yep we stayed there for it was only a short stint six months okay uh yeah so i guess i went to five different high schools yeah so i went there and then um back down to california went to two different high schools down there and uh yeah graduated and So then once you were able to, I mean, you're at the age now graduating that you can make the decision where you're living instead of having, you know, mom and dad string you along, bring you to all the different places. Did you choose to stay in California then? Or did you say, I have had enough for now, I'm going to take off? Or Yeah, the whole family actually moved back up to Washington, which is where uh, both sides of my family are, are, are uh, originally from. Okay. And um, I stayed, just surf bum, worked work just you know menial jobs having a good time um decided that i wanted to be a helicopter pilot and um so i was uh, working towards doing that and this is just before 9-11 okay and 
at the time there was a there was a glutton of helicopter pilots this was a tough thing to get into mm-hmm. and i went through all this you know all the things that you go through to do the backgrounds and all that stuff for it and yeah was that specifically in the military you were looking to become yep, a pilot yep okay. i was going to do the army and if i couldn't get in there i wanted to go to college you know so i can go into one of the other branches to mm-hmm. be a helicopter pilot and um, they basically said you're just too big we and we have a lot of people we don't need any mm-hmm. and is there anything else you want to do and actually they offered me a bunch of other things and i was like no, no you know i don't want to do any of that so yeah. turn that down and then two weeks later um, nine eleven happened and decided I wanted to go, um, try to do something else. Mm-hmm. And they basically said, you're already, you're, you're out. I don't know how long it was. I, I keep thinking five years or something like that mm-hmm. because you already went through the process and you decided you didn't want to do it. Um, so that didn't pan out. It was a little bit on the devastating side because my whole family has, has served for, you know, since, World War One, no, it was like a big thing to me to yeah. do that. You know, I think again, right of passage thing. Yeah, oh, it's definitely very common in military families for at least somebody in the next generation to you know serve in some capacity. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, so that didn't work out. Kind of straggled around for a couple of years, more surfing, uh, just ha- having a good time. I didn't do that great in high school, so I didn't have grades and all that kind of stuff. Um, then. Moved up to Northern California and decided I needed to get my, my stuff together mm-hmm. and uh, started going to college there and got into an EMT class, started doing that. Someone had mentioned, hey, you should look into doing fire, you know, working in the fire service, pretty cool. Looked into it. I was like, yeah, that's right up my alley. So I uh, got right on it and kind of started proving to myself that, yeah, I was smart enough to do, you know, what I wanted to and got through that and um, started working as an EMT, put my time in there. At a fire department or on a like private ambulance or yeah in, in California um, yeah and the way it works is you once you get your certification then you have to put in a certain amount of time um, before you can even be considered for paramedic school and mm-hmm. um, yeah it's the same here I think it's like a year you have to do as an EMT here in Washington yep. before you can then apply to even try to get in yeah and it's really competitive I mean like yeah Washington's like this is where it all started here in Washington. And California is really progressive, and they follow right behind. Um, so, yeah, I put my time in on a private, on a private ambulance uh, for a year, year and a half. And one of the only fire departments left in, uh, in San Diego County still hired EMTs. And it was a long shot. Uh, went in for the interview and got the job, which was awesome. Yeah. It was kind of a life-changing thing for me. Um, you know, when you're, when you're chasing after something, you have that big break. That was for me, that was my big break. And that just kind of snowballed into, you know, the professionalism that goes to fire service, law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I think even military, you know, it's kind of a pill. The department I worked for was really, really paramilitary, mm-hmm. um, which was really cool for me because just the discipline and yeah, definitely a lot more structure in those types of organizations as far as like more regimented, I guess is a better word as far as structure that you're held accountable for a lot of things, you know, very disciplined oriented, you know, even everything from they keep your uniform nice and clean pressed and that kind of stuff as opposed to other places that in the more quote unquote civilian world where they're more civilian driven, there's sometimes a lot more lax 
rules as far as standards, you know, not necessarily standards of care, but just standards of like appearance and that kind of stuff. I mean, they try to look more friendly or what we'll call it or whatever, as opposed to my guess is you were probably wearing the, you know, some type of EMT style pant and probably a nice button up, not nice, but as far as like a, a quote unquote normal-ish EMT buttoned up shirt, I'm guessing that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had uh, uh, class Bs that we wore yeah. most of the time. Yeah, so class Bs. Where yeah. Now you can see people, they're wearing like polos and like that kind of stuff, a lot more relaxed. Yeah, that was not the them. department I was in. It was yeah. like, they were super strict on that. Yep, it was all Nomex blue, um, button down, super, mm-hmm. you just, you look good. And Shiny it boots felt good and all to that be. kind of stuff. What's that? Shiny boots and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, you always got a few rogues, but for yeah. the most part, there's... You know, all the all the guys that I worked with um, had, you know, they held held their heads high and, and yeah. that kind of stuff. No, that's um, good. Was, yeah. For, for the people that can stand being in that type of system, that's, you know, a good system being. There's definitely people who are drawn to more of that versus civilian, but there's also people who look at that and go, that's that's too much for me. You know, I want to have a little bit more freedoms, we'll call it, as far as, you know, what I want to look like or, you know, what's, you know, I want to be able to, you know, I'm sure you were probably in an agency that probably at that time frowned upon tattoos or facial hair or piercings and that kind of stuff where now standards have become a lot more lax i've noticed nationwide but i remember when i first got into public mm-hmm. safety and that kind of stuff i mean i was 2005 was when i started my emt career and it was you know very if you had tattoos they wanted them covered if they you know it was the same thing class b uniforms and you know they prefer our boots to be polished and that kind of stuff and they don't want you to showing up and your shirt's untucked and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. now, not that I don't, I still don't see the shirt untucked, but you know, I've seen they wear polos and sweatshirts mm-hmm. and, you know, those types. I mean, not necessarily hooded sweatshirts, but it's kind of more like the quarter zip sweatshirts and that kind of stuff. It's mm-hmm. definitely a lot more relaxed, which, like I said, some people are more drawn to that. They don't want to, you know, go to the paramilitary style, but it's different yeah. culture changes. Yeah, some of the things I've read about it too. Um, and that I also notice is I think it's just harder to find people that kind of fit the bill that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I think the military is having the same problems. I've read up quite a bit about that as well being an issue. But, um, it, you know, for me growing up, like the world was black and white, you know, and as I was young, I was like 23 when I got in with the fire service. And so I was like in the stuff that you're doing, um, it's not not little kid stuff, you know? And, and, uh, so you kind of go in with that mentality. I was working at Vons, which is the equivalent of Safeway, the same company, mm-hmm. you know, bagging groceries. And then you go jump right into doing something like that, where you're a lot of responsibility, a lot, of, even just working as an EMT, it was a lot of, a lot of responsibility and just, you know, things you're dealing with and seeing. And it's just like, Oh, you know, yeah. yeah it grows you up really fast, really as fast. Far as the stuff that you, actually the stuff that you see, or the experiences that you have that, you know, it's not, you know, it's a different type of stress. I mean, everybody's job can be stressful in their mm-hmm. mind. You know, we, um, in all of my police training, that kind of stuff, you know, they always tell us, they know during our crisis intervention blocks and that kind of stuff is that when people call, you got to understand that you might not think what's going on is an emergency, but to that person, it's an emergency. And so, you know, you think of your, I'm sure there's days when you're working at Vaughn's where you're like, oh man, this is a really stressful day when you're in that situation then, but then you fast forward to as an EMT on the fire department, you look back and it goes, man, there wasn't a stressful day at, you know, Safeway or, you know, Vaughn's any day compared to what you're doing or we're doing at the time. Now, mm-hmm. I, mean, I think the same way. I remember times that 
I had jobs. You know, I had, I've had a myriad of different jobs from dishwasher to cook mm-hmm. to carpet installer to warehouse worker to I worked at Blockbuster for a very short period of time. I mean, and those days like, oh, man, there's so many customers here. It's just stressful, you know, mm-hmm. checking in those movies, you know, not talking down <laughs> in those people. But then I get yeah. into, yeah. you know, law enforcement and public service force like, okay, now this is to me is what real stress is when you're. Yeah, there's different Literally levels. trying to save people's lives mm-hmm. or dealing with people who are really in true emergencies. But you you still had your days where you probably dealt with a lot of stuff that was not emergent. And you look at it, it's like, really, this is what you call 914? You know, in your case, you know, probably people who really could have just gone to their regular doctor or really could have just waited till the next day or really mm-hmm. they didn't need to call at all. I mean, those are the worst calls for me that I remember as far as annoyance was – this is not an emergency mm-hmm. at all. You do not need the paramedics here. You just need to learn to take care of yourself better or your family needs to step up. You know, why is this the fifth time you've fallen out of your bed? There's other issues that are here as opposed to, you don't, you know, don't call 911 every single time that that kind of stuff happens. Cause then you're taken away from something else. You know, you're deployed on a pick me up call in the middle of the night and then a motor vehicle collision comes out on the other end of whatever your jurisdiction is. And then now you got to race over there to try to provide assistance. And then what did that take away? You know, was maybe someone survivable, but now you're, they're not because of the time delay of you getting from a no nonsense call all the way over to, or I guess a nonsense call all the way over to something that is a little more emergent. I mean, we get that all the time in law mm-hmm. enforcement. It's like somebody calls 911 because I mean, I've had, you know, my neighbor's light, is shining in my window they call 911 and say hey fix this problem for me it's like well did you go talk to your neighbor oh no my neighbor's scary i don't want to talk to him or that's Mm -hmm. not my that's not my job that's your job you go talk to him and tell him what they're doing is wrong Mm -hmm. like it's literally light from their house like it's not this is not this is not a police matter why are you calling us and we had you know, we have people call for silly stuff like that all the time, which then does take us away from the more, you know, emergent calls. I've been, you know, stuck on a call because it wasn't that big of a deal. And then we do get something big that does come out. It's like, okay, sorry, I got to go. And don't be surprised if I don't come back for a while. And I know there's some agencies like, um, I don't know if you've seen any of that documentary, uh, Flint Town. I have. Yep. I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I've heard it. But, you know, they show like captures of like, there's been calls pending for yeah. days and some of them are very emergent calls. If they happen in our town, we would drop everything and go, but somewhere where you're understaffed, mm. underfunded, and then essentially don't have the resources to go deal with some things wait. And so, you know, I encourage listeners of this to really evaluate, is this truly an emergency that you're calling public safety for? I mean, I don't know what your, all your experience obviously was in California, but I'm mm-hmm. guessing it's not just an isolated to Washington incident. I'm sure you went to, plenty of calls that you thought this is not require the level of response that you're, you know, providing or level of service that they're providing. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, um, little background, the department I worked for, you know, it was 180,000 people that we were serving. Um, so when I think about that, it's, I mean, it's, we had such a wide range of, uh, yeah, people are crazy people. Uh, there's a lot of strange people out there. Um, and, and I think one of the main things, you know, at 23, I was just like, okay. Um, I've seen, you know, I've been to parties and all that kind of stuff, but it's a different underbelly of society mm-hmm. that people largely are unaware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, it was a, it was a wide open experience. Um, 
so yeah, I think that it definitely got burned out on a lot of the nonsense calls, uh, mm-hmm. and it definitely had f- more than my fair share, I think, for a lifetime of uh, dealing with just crazy things. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy and, things, seeing crazy things. I mean, I, I couldn't, you know, try not to hijack your story too much, but I've, I couldn't tell you the number of times I've given people CPR. Yeah. That not number of times I've seen you know, unfortunately seen dead bodies in mm-hmm. every different state mm-hmm. of, you know, as far as from the person who just passed away in their sleep, you know, essentially peacefully to the body that's been there for multiple days or weeks to people who have had felonious violence happen to them or people who've unfortunately taken their own lives. And I may have seen, I've seen every manner of that as far as anywhere from overdose to hanging to, you know, cutting their wrists yeah. to jumping off bridges to, you know, gunshots. I mean, all that. And for me also all those different ages and you yeah know, so i'm 33 now i've been doing this for 10 years you know i've seen more than you know even my my lifetime i mean i couldn't i couldn't tell you i'm up to 60 or 100 death investigations that i've done in one way or another and i've given cpr to i mean i've given more people cpr as a cop than i ever did as an emt but it's also i've been doing this a little bit longer but it was always i mean it's crazy and you ask um uh, a quote unquote normal person, a civilian who has never done that and they've mm. they might have gone to a class once or twice or, you know, through a job it's required, but they've never even been close to a situation where they've had to do any of those type of situations or ever seen anything, you know, before I mean I can't think of a dead body that I ever saw besides, you know, maybe a grandma at a at a funeral or something that up until I got into mm-hmm. being an EMT and I Yeah, I had never. Yeah. And like I said, it grows you up oh yeah. Real fast. Yeah. Yeah, talk about crisis intervention, uh, you know, 23, and then all that is thrown at you. And the funny thing about, I think, uh, emergency services, and and I think military too, is that a lot of what is neglected, and, you know, we're all, everybody wants to play and pretend tough guy, you are tough, you know, to do that kind of stuff, you have to have a certain mindset, and you have to get the job done, and um, that requires a lot of different things, and discipline, and maturity and a lot of things for me I didn't have that when I went in and so it was an interesting ride for me um and I did that for eight years yeah um and kind of it's funny as you go along because cult the culture of it is very um you know get the job done tuck it away back in the in the brain dome housing and and forget about it and go on to the next one yeah, and um, you do that. Everybody's a little bit different. Everybody processes different. For me, mm-hmm. I didn't process. Like, I remember my engineer, who was kind of my mentor, was just like, you know, you go on that baby. Yeah, my son was just born. I went on a call like that uh, with a nine-month-old, and he was nine months old at the time, and it just stuck in my head. And he's like, you know, you just you go on, you take that, and you tuck it away in the file cabinet, way in the back of your head, and you shut the door, and you just leave it. And I could not do that. Yeah. No, but I've, I've always heard it as a bricks in your wagon. Everything you go to adds a brick to your wagon. And sooner or later, if you don't have a way to remove those bricks from your wagon, eventually your wagon tips over. And then that's when people have, um, you know, either PTSI, you know, post-traumatic stress injuries is what they're kind of call them, or, you know, PTSD is the old kind of nomenclature for that. Or they have, you know, they get into 
different ways of, or unhealthy ways of decompressing. You know, that's mm-hmm. when you get see people who get into alcohol and drug yeah. abuse or, yeah. you know, become sex addicts, cheat on their wives, you know, gambling addiction, all that kind of stuff because they find unhealthy ways to do it. And so if you don't have a healthy way to remove those bricks from your wagon, you can get into situations where you get in over your head and now you're, what do I do? You know, because it's always that first one that's hard. You know, we, that people would say the thing that, you know, ends cops' careers involuntarily is um, – money sex and girl or money girls and drugs that they start either stealing money getting together with suspects cheating on their spouses or that kind of stuff or they get some type of substance abuse addiction alcohol mm-hmm. drugs and then that affects their job yeah that kind of stuff and that's the most common with this thing that you know they preach at us all the time so these are the th- one of the th- these three things if you're going to have unsuccessful careers likely going to be the perpetrator of that and so again i'm trying not to hijack you too much but it sounds like you know a similar scenario of you know overloading your kind of wagon and not well, having a being too young to necessarily maybe know how to for sure and i mean it's a it's all a lot ego driven i mean that is what gets mm-hmm. you through a lot of the stuff so it's it's really cool work and um and so yeah getting getting into that kind of stuff there's there's a whole lot of other things that drive it too right like mm-hmm. lots of ego and uh just getting after it and do, mm-hmm. doing the crazy things that you do um, um that's fun you know i had a lot of fun um but yeah, lots of growing up real quick. Um, but gaining the maturity, uh, you know, for me, I still, man, it took me a long, I think, um, I ended up, uh, injuring a shoulder and, um, more making a graceful exit just cause I was, I was burned out mm-hmm. on uh, the paramedic side of things and, uh, in working on, uh, the ambulance and the engine mm-hmm. running a lot of just calls day and night. Um, nope. And then that's usually the other way I see if, you know, the people who retire or leave before it's a retirement age, it's usually that way either, you know, Hey, this isn't for me anymore. Or, you know, injuries, unfortunately are so common in public safety because it is also that kind of same, not just the mental health aspect of it, of go on to the next one is if you get hurt, suck it up. We got another call to go to or whatever, or come back sooner. You know, Oh, you're, you're, in inconveniencing all your other partners because you've been off for however long mm-hmm. because of this injury. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, lots of people have legit injuries, mm-hmm. you know, back, shoulders, are the, knees are the most common three to kind of go out on people. Necks are kind of up there as well. So, I mean, it's not surprising that, you know, at a young age, you, know, you are a, a bigger guy. I mean, you're what, six, five, six, six, four, yeah, six, six, four, four and, you know, yeah. And, yeah. you know, in decent shape, but you know, Bad shoulders, a bad shoulder. You know, you got a broken wing. You, what are you gonna really do when you're supposed to be picking up 200, 300 pound patients and you know moving around hoses and that kind of stuff? Most people don't get. It. I mean, fighting fire when the fire's still active is hard work. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. something that you just, you know, you're sweating, you're wearing all that heavy gear, you have you know your um, breathing device or SCBA on mm-hmm. inside a mask, doing all that kind of stuff. And then once the fire's out, that's the fun. The fun part's putting out the fire. In, in my perspective, all the stuff after, that's the not fun stuff, what they call overhaul, the, yeah, the moving clean up. all the, mm-hmm. you know, cleaning up all the hose and then packing it all back in and then you're Taking tearing it apart back, the house Washing and, it, hanging it, drying, you know, yeah. re-rolling, uh, repairing any, you know, yeah, there's a lot that goes into yeah. it if you do it right. Um, so it sounds like you medical out because of a shoulder. You know, I kind of had a choice and... I feel actually I felt pretty blessed because at the time I had my youngest son and uh, we were planning on uh, my my now middle son, my second child, and I just 
I just knew as soon as I had children, like that was not the place I wanted to raise my kids, but I didn't have a choice. You know, that was my career. I mean, worked my ass off to get to that place, Mm -hmm. you know, five years just to get in. And, um, uh, yeah. So letting that go for the shoulder. And I think more just from being burnt out, it was like, I I need, we need to raise our kids in a better place. So it worked out. It worked out for us really probably one of the hardest decisions I ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, and more so I think leaving the people in the, in the, um, the brotherhood I had with them. And that is one thing that, yeah, that y- you really, at least on the civilian side, I never military mm-hmm. got full, my full respect, those people, men and women, um, in combat, um, you know, it's probably to a much higher level of amplitude, of yeah. kinship that you feel <clears throat> and brotherhood and all that, that you, that goes along with it. But, um, I felt that, and I, I feel like it, it kind of fulfilled that part of not being in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that young ego part, egotistical side when I was young and I wanted to, you know, show my, my dad and my family and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, so finished up with that and went to school to do what I'm doing now at the, at working in a hospital, um, doing ultrasounds of the heart. Um, when I was in, um, the fire service, the heart was, you know, just like pretty much what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, breathing, breathing problems and heart problems when you're working on the ambulance and, uh, uh, always fascinated with the heart. I should have started out by saying initially, you know, when I was young, before I did anything, I was like, I want to be a doctor. You know, so that, that was really what I wanted to do. But I was like, I'm too stupid to be a doctor. There's no way I'm going to, um, by the time I finished with the fire department and got done, you know, that place showed me anything was possible. And mm-hmm. so I was getting after it. Um, and, uh, considered going back to medical school at that point, I had two kids and family and, you know, just quit mm-hmm. the job where I was making good money. And I'm like, what am I going to do now? I thought, okay, I'm going to try something blue collar. No responsibility. I'm just going to completely shake it up. Nope. That didn't work for me. Um, yeah. So went back to, and I got right into school. I was again, blessed by that because it's long waits for what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, going to, um, cardiovascular technology school. So did two years of that finished up. Um, first interview was here, flew up. Um, and I don't like flying. Yeah, but I did it solo, came up and did the interview. And um, what got me the job, I think, was that I actually wore a suit. And the guy that, uh, which I think I learned from the fire department. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, <clears throat> no, I mean, I, just speaking on that, um, it's, I'm a big proponent of, you know, dress for the job that you want. If yeah, you want to take this job serious, show up. Cause that's really, you know, sometimes the only bite of the apple you might have. Mm-hmm. And so if you show up in flip flops and shorts and that kind of stuff to a job that, you know, you want to be viewed as a professional, it's not going to go very well. Yeah. You know, if you're getting a job at Google or that kind of stuff where they have a very much more relaxed atmosphere, that might be acceptable, but you know, look at what the daily uniform of the job that you want is and try to look that good or better. In take, my opinion. take notes, kids, yeah. any kids that are listening. That's huge, man. And people, people underestimate that. Was I embarrassed going in a full suit? Man, I was embarrassed because nobody else is wearing a suit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, you just go in there like you're applying for that CEO job and, you know, and, and, uh, 
Yeah. So, um, I found out like a week later, they left me hanging for a week. I was down in San Diego, finishing up, uh, testing and things. And, uh, yep. Then I found out new chapter, moved the family up. Um, you know, and there was a lot of reasons I, I I've heard on your podcast before a few people that I, th- yeah, I think, uh, one of, one of, uh, the people, other people that you work with, yeah, I think he said, well, his nickname was Com, Com- um, comrade, Com- yeah. comrade. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, for, <clears throat> yeah, you know, cause he's from, he's from Cal- California. Yeah. 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 Um, I thought that was funny. I remember listening to that and I was just like, if I ever get on that podcast, <laughs> I'm going to have to clear the, uh, clear the, the, the California, which is true. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of good things that came out of California. Yeah. And he's, he's, he, you know, I think he <clears throat> might, it sounds like agree that Southern California and Northern California could almost be divided into two different states that there's a different mentality or a different culture you want to call it whatever in those two different parts but then obviously every place has its own stuff i mean you're not the blonde hair surfer boy who's you know even though you might have surfed in the past i'm guessing you know you weren't necessarily that stereotypical southern california no kid. no no um you know yeah and i lived in i went to to school up in humboldt which is way north mm-hmm. and i lived in the way south of uh, or the the most southern part of uh of California. So yeah, I saw both of the extremes. Um, San Diego is interesting because it's a, it's a military town, you mm-hmm. know, and there's like multiple ma- like major bases there mm-hmm. for the Marines, the Navy. Uh, those are the two main ones, but um, so it's, it's a, it's a bit more conservative on the political spectrum, which mm-hmm. is totally different than the rest of the state. Um, as far as big cities are concerned. You know, but some, there's a lot of good things that come out of um, L.A. And I'm, I hate to say it, I don't like anything out of L.A., honestly. Not even the movies, never really have. But I love the Dodgers. <laughs> and uh, As you're wearing a Mariners hat. I love the Mariners as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got certain allegiance to certain things, you know. Yeah. My family's, like I said, all from here, and I went to lots of Mariners games. Love them too, but uh, Dodgers are, you're in it right now. And mm-hmm. uh, they're and an the exciting Mariners team. Are. They're an exciting team to watch right now. I like the Mariners, too. They were fun to watch. But. Yeah, but unfortunately, they have they own the record of the longest current playoff drought in any major sport. So NFL, NBA, NHL, and MLB, they own the longest playoff drought right now. Oh, so. that's, that's rough. I didn't know that. Yep. Um, yeah. So, yep. So going back to it, yep, we moved up here and started working for the hospital, and um, life's been good. It just, you know, I think – what's really kind of cool about this place is I mean, my family's all from here. Uh, well, not from here, but uh, uh, my family's lived in uh, Swim for um, almost 40 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I every summer I come up here and stay with my grandparents, spend a month or two. And uh, so this has always kind of been home away from home for me, which was kind of cool, you know, to come back. I never thought in a, in a thousand years I'd be back here to live. But yeah. um, so I got a little bit of uh, connection to the place, which is – which is good. I think it helped a little bit because first thing you do is you mentioned when you're from California and people just drop their heads and walk away. Right. Yeah. Cause there is a lot of people from California here that moved up here, but, um, um, yeah, but we're also, I mean, a really out of the way area from where we're at right now. I mean, you, you tell people, you know, if you're traveling around, you say, where are you from? You tell them where you're from. They're like, well, where's that? And you say, Oh, I'm from, Se- you know, I'm West of Seattle. And they're like, Oh, okay. I get what you're talking about then. I mean, even people in, you know, Seattle, Oh, where are you from? Oh, this is where I'm, you know, this is where I'm from. 
well, where's that? Okay, well, it's two hours west of here. You mm-hmm. should, you know, expand your worldviews, whatever. But it could be – we've had a lot of people come over here just because, you know, in the same situation you're in, they test a bunch. They're working their butt off. They want to get hired somewhere. We pick them up, and they're, they're from what we call the I-5 corridor or somewhere right, right. bigger city. They come over here where our biggest town is 20,000 people, and our whole county is only 60,000-ish people. And they come from towns that have, like, you you know – 60 to 80 100,000 people mm-hmm. shopping centers are 10 minutes away the most or that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and they come mm-hmm. here and it's a complete culture shock if not to them to their family you know they they come up first they test and then they bring their significant other up and they're like what do you mean there's no mall the nearest mall is mm-hmm. an hour and a half away or the there's only four restaurants in t- town that people go to like what about oh yeah man, that kind of stuff. And so yeah but you know for you at least you had that experience of Going from San Diego, which is one of the biggest cities in the U.S., to 5,000 people, Wisconsin, um, and then going from there. you know, So at least you had a little bit of that experience of, I guess, going from the haves to the have-nots mm-hmm. and then back to the haves again to Boulder, Boulder Colorado, and then you know, that kind of stuff. So that, that was probably obviously less of a culture. Like, and then visiting here like with your family, that probably made it a lot easier transition. I mean, it was for me, yeah. It was a tougher for my wife. And, you know, coming from – sunshine sunshine for the most part it was yeah. it was it's it's still the winter's here a little bit rough for me but um you know just find ways to augment that but uh yeah so you move up here you move into you know um at your job you've been there for what a while now haven't you five yeah it's come up on i think four years four years yeah yeah and um is this the longest you've ever been? So I guess you had a job for eight years there. So, I mean, is that was that your longest stay in one spot? Was your mm-hmm. fire career? I mean, that... yeah, 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 and uh, yeah, and, and in between all that, you know, I had done like a lot of world travel, mm-hmm. um, and and which was really cool. You know, I was just I would work a job, quit it, go travel for two months, a month, six months, and come back at a job. And that, that was kind of the cool thing about um, not being tied down by anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was probably for, you know, from when I was 18 through 24. Then my wife settled me down, mm. you know, and then I got into the career more, which was cool. It was a, just a different chapter. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it definitely gives you a different, perspective because you get a kind of more worldview of things and you come back and realize that you know are things really as bad as people say they are you know they say you know california gets a bad rap a lot of times but there are a lot of good things that come from that but then you also probably appreciate things that you might have you know here in washington or things that you had access to in colorado and wisconsin all that kind of stuff that people you know i'm not sure where all you went in the world but i'm sure you went to places that you realize that man it's really not that bad. The, the things that people are complaining about really aren't that big of a deal, I would guess. Yeah, and I think, you know, what's the media is an interesting thing because it's its own beast that it kind of tells you what to think and how to think. Mm-hmm. And um, if you haven't ever ventured out or thought outside of the realms of what somebody else is telling yeah. you to think, um, you know, that's easy to get dissuaded and, and have mm-hmm. be ignorant on, on things. But I'm not yeah. saying that, that I know more. Um, I have a little no. different perspectives. Yeah, but. Different, and I think that you can recognize that there's other truths that are out there that just, like you said, if you know, you're know you getting all your information from one of the news stations, but you're not looking into it more, then you're getting a very skewed view potentially because you know, people always joke about how you can bring up you know, 
the the two biggest ones, you know, CNN and Fox News, they could share the same event that happens and it's skewed essentially two different ways. And if yeah. you're only ingesting one of those ways, it does have an impact on your outlook on really life and politics and is the world really that bad and scary or is it really not that bad? And so I think with that experience, I'd guess that you kind of were able to recognize there is more than one, one way to look at the same issue. Yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, moving here, something I love and appreciate the most was actually, and, and I still think it, uh, think about it is um, how protective people are over their, their place. This is their place and they own it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, that's something I love about here. Um, you don't get that anywhere, you know, um, in a city, nobody gives any concern about you, what you're doing, who you are, what you are, you know, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, moving to a place like this is, is it's cool because people, people are actually tied to the, the place mm-hmm. and I can appreciate that. Um, yeah, I definitely, I moved here because I love what this place is and how isolated it is. Yeah. I make jokes to my wife cause she only lived in San Diego. She was a, a military brat. Both of her parents were in the Marine Corps and uh, both retired. So she doesn't know anything else. And moving here was a big deal for her. Um, but she adapted. It's good, you know. But uh, no, I, you should see if you can get through the first couple of fall, winter, you know, seasons that if you can tolerate that, you can usually make it much longer. But, yeah, the people who we, – unfortunately, we've had the people who come up during the summertime when it's you know, halfway <laughs> right. nice and they bring their yeah. spouse up when that time is like, hey, it's not too bad. And then they oh, hit that man. first. Yeah, this is, this is paradise. Because, you, know, you know, for us, our north our nice weather ends time. in September yeah. and doesn't come back again until May. Mm-hmm. And so if people don't like gray, it's a rough go. Uh-huh. I mean, I think we have a pretty high rate of, um, you know, like seasonal affective disorder where it's like, I haven't seen a sunny day in six months. I'm going nuts. And I'm sure <laughs> I can imagine – but for me, I don't know any different. I've lived here and I've lived in Seattle and that's pretty much, I've visited lots of places and I can tell you, I much in, more enjoy the places when it's nice weather than mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. that, you know, and that's my plan when I retire is to go somewhere where I get more sun than I don't. Cause living here now for 33 years of more gray than not. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you the last, last time I had like a nice stretch of good weather here in town or you know on the pacific northwest it's like oh this isn't so bad you know i get you know i can wear shorts and a t-shirt for six months yeah that's never happened i wear sweatshirts i mean i was wearing a sweatshirt today and last week and towards the end of you know august i was throwing my sweatshirts on that i could imagine well the weather here definitely uh toughens you up um yeah you think you're tough and you go you go to a place like wisconsin or here and you endure endure uh weather the way i kind of combat that is uh I just work out like a mofo, yeah. you know, and because uh, I'll go to work, work out in the morning, dark, get to work, get done, dark, you know, and so, um, yeah, you never see the sun for five days, and then you get off work call on the weekend or whatever, and you just, yeah. you know, <laughs> but. Um, yeah. So, I've been mean, getting into, so you move up here, um, wife, and at that point, two kids, right? <laughs> Yep, yep. Um, she uh, was pregnant when we moved here with my third, uh, my daughter. Okay. Yep. And then, so you get you you come up here with a job. She eventually, you know, finds a job. She's in education, like you said. Um, I believe you said that, but you know, we talked a little mm-hmm. before this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's in education and whatnot, which, you know, 
is good. I mean, it gives, you know, teachers are definitely underpaid and underrepresented for a lot of, you know, different things, but it sounds like you've kind of been able to establish roots and that kind of stuff. And, you know, sounds like this may be something that you stick, you know, obviously around for, cause you like the area, you like the, you know, I'm guessing you like the job that you're doing and that kind of stuff for the most part. Um, what, what's the, for you, the major differences of going from the pre-hospital side of it to now seeing the actual in-hospital, you know, inpatient, outpatient type of stuff. I mean, was there anything that to you that, um, was, uh, that you had, I guess, a, a wrong idea of like, oh, you know, this hospital work is this, but you actually, when you actually got into it, now you realize, oh, that's actually not that way. It's this other way. Um, I worked in, I worked in the hospital a lot of, uh, in doing a lot of different jobs before I went into the fire service. So I kind of had an idea, um, and just doing lots of research, which I wanted to be a doctor. Um, so I kind of knew what it was, you know, the big difference is details, right? Like mm-hmm. they, we, we care about details in the hospital and pre-hospital. It's like, you know, let's get the major stuff out of the way, fix, fix them if we can and mm-hmm. let those people deal with the details and get them dialed in. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It, one of the things I always kind of use the analogy, which totally um, must respect to law enforcement, but kind of what's cool about my job is it's it's kind of like being an investigator inside the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so every patient's like it's a, like its own different thing. They got their own set of issues going on, and uh, we go in, use the ultrasound, look inside the heart, and spend it an hour, hour and a half with the person mm-hmm. from start to finish, and mm-hmm. really trying to figure out what is causing the issues that they're having. Um, and I enjoy that, you know, cause it really kind of helps, you know, lets me just, I just say that, you know, I sit on my butt all day in a dark room and do a mental gymnastics. And when I get done at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, so performance wise, pretty boring job mentally, big challenge. And it's cool working with, uh, the doctors and the different teams, you know, with pretty, um, sick people yeah i mean so. if, they, if they've gotten to you now i mean you work in the heart center um something's gone wrong up to that point i mean people generally don't just go get a you know a prophylactic echo i mean it's they've usually something you know they've had a heart attack or they've had some type of heart condition that kind of stuff so yeah you are seeing the people who are more sick than i guess the normal or not they don't but uh other people you might run into on the street you know as a mm-hmm. paramedic and that kind of stuff yeah that person might be having a little bit of chest pain that can be explained by other stuff, but you're seeing the people who are having actual more often than not some type of legitimate or serious health condition. If they don't take care of will lead to their demise in one way or another. Yeah. And a lot of it's, um, a lot of it is, uh, you know, just the aging process, but yeah, everybody that we see almost everybody, not everybody, a lot, a large percentage of them have a major issue going on. Um, yeah, you know, here, you know, drugs is a big issue with the younger population, which makes it interesting. My job is interesting because we go in and we look for, um, little bacteria that eat the heart essentially, um, which are interesting cases. Yeah. Another uh, reason to not do drugs. Don't do drugs. Um, they got me kind of more intimately concerned, you know, having three children and, you know, drugs are a problem everywhere. I think here it's a little bit more pronounced, maybe because the population is smaller. I'm not hundred percent sure I haven't figured that out, but, um, definitely got me thinking more along those lines. Actually, I, I mean, I've done right alongs with you, right along with you and in other places and thought, well, maybe I'll get into law enforcement because it's, it's that big of an issue, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, 
try to make some yeah. some kind of change you know yeah. that might be more effective than i the one thing i don't like about medicine it's always on the end stage of things you know especially mm-hmm. with the younger folks um well you're trying to more or less fix things as opposed to prevent things yeah yeah and uh um i can appreciate that but uh definitely it's it's an interesting system the Mm -hmm. united states system i medicine you know it's 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 the same it's just it's the same as i don't know what i'm trying to say no i I think i kind of get a little bit i mean it's it's one of those things where you know you see the the other side of it you know similar when you were on the fire department you saw a different side of it and then law enforcement we have see that different side of it you know you I mean we see the people who are doing drugs and the effect that it has on their body and then but we do you know we we pick them up we relocate them to a new facility or something like else where they get care of where then you know I equate kind of you know jailers to like being the hospital workers where they see them for days or weeks on end mm-hmm. and have to deal with all these different issues where you know now you're seeing people multiple times dealing with different issues that you know on the, as an EMT firefighter, you scooped them up, dropped them at the facility, dropped, you know, left them there, and then didn't think about them again, you know, essentially until the next time you saw them or that kind of stuff. That once you're, once you passed them off, they were no longer your patient, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, but now you, I'm guessing you have people you see multiple different times and you're tracking their progress. Are they actually getting better? Or are they getting worse? Are they. Oh, yeah. You know, you know them on firsthand basis after a few. It's, it's kind of a funny thing because. Um, on the medical side, you're, you're always helping them, whether they are appreciative of it or not mm-hmm. is a different story. Um, but I, I, handfuls of, uh, people that were in rough situations and maybe didn't even acknowledge it, um, that, uh, got themselves together and I'll run into them and they'll be like, you know, remember my name and come over. And I'm just like, you know, it's, it's a trip. I'll remember their name. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, that's one of the cool things about living in a small town, I think. Yeah. It could be to your disadvantage too, especially if you're uh, a cop. Yeah. In law enforcement, it's not <laughs> as see. advantageous. And some that, for me, my issue is that I might remember somebody, but I don't remember if I remember them from a good reason or a bad yeah, reason. Yeah. Yeah. It get, probably gets all after yeah, so like, long. Ah, I recognize you. But why do I recognize you? Is it a good thing <laughs> or a bad thing that I recognize you for? Because in my experience, crime and people who have criminal nature affects everybody as far mm-hmm. as any socioeconomical any race, any other, I mean, I've, I remember testifying in a trial once where somebody was, um, representing themselves in a, what if, you know, essentially it was a DUI case. And they were like, you took the word of this, you know, I think they said like, you know, this essentially doper, tweaker, drug addict, drug dealer, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, name they decided to associate with our witness. And they said, you believe them over me. I'm a respected member of this community in their mind. I'm a pharmacist, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I remember answering the question. Well, first it was like, do you, was there a question in there? Which there generally wasn't. It was just a lot of him talking at me. But, I, you know, I essentially, effectively, when I was able to answer it was, I believe everybody has the capability of committing a crime. It doesn't matter what your upbringing was. It doesn't matter what your current situation is. Everybody has the, the ability to go commit a crime, which is some people mm-hmm. obviously don't. Sometimes you have to work at not. It's, making that decision do i have that second third or fourth beer and then drive or do i make the choice to not do those things Mm -hmm. i mean yeah there's people who then obviously take that to the extreme of you know now they're doing drugs and breaking into houses and that kind of stuff but everybody's just as likely to get a dui in my mind as anybody else if you have 
access to a car and you've, you know, choose to consume some type of controlled substance, including alcohol, everybody has the same likelihood of getting a DUI as anybody else. It's mm-hmm. just the ones that know to make that choice of I'm, I'm too intoxicated or too impaired to drive versus not. And that's when I've, you know, told lots of people just because you got a DUI doesn't mean you're a bad person. You just made a bad choice. And I think everybody has that capability to make that bad choice. And so then with all that said, that's why sometimes I don't recognize people. It's like, do I remember you for a good reason or a bad reason? But just because I arrested you doesn't mean it was necessarily a bad reason. It's just you, you might have made a bad decision. I mean, I've arrested family, friends, exes, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they, oh, are you going to think differently? I'm like, you know, depending on what the crime was, no. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just bad. It's just unfortunate situation that you're in. You made a bad choice. It's my job to hold you, to start the process of holding you accountable. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not your judge and jury, but I'm the person that puts you in front of those people. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting job. Yeah, I was, I've thrown around the idea of maybe changing careers again. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, no, it was good. I was, you know, apologize. Keep kind of hijacking your story that you're trying to tell. No, man, it's but... cool. I, I, we, we kind of work in this kind of area. We both got mm-hmm. probably very similar experiences. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we have the same, you know, clients one way or another. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, Okay, so now we're here. Um, we kind of talked a little bit earlier that, um, you know, you weren't into sports, but, you know, now I know that you kind of got all your kids into sports. Are you finding that you're able now to enjoy sports through your kids? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's the probably the best part of having kids is um, watching them grow and you kind of direct them, not necessarily like making them do something that you wanted to do when you were a kid that you didn't get to do, but yeah. recognizing that those things um, – you can kind of pass on the idea of you can mm-hmm. do whatever you want and kind of get, get, get them guiding yeah. and steering. And no. Yeah. Coaching them and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Nope. I can definitely, again, understand that. I mean, has there been anything, you know, that your experience of growing up, moving around all that kind of stuff that you, you know, decided, Hey, I'm definitely not going to do that. I'm not saying that you, your parents are bad or treated you. you know, they can, you know, I'm not implying that kind of stuff, but like the, I'm sure some of that was like, you know what? I didn't get the opportunity to play sports. I can stuff. I'm going to make sure that my ch- kids have that same opportunity or is it, I mean, did you think that, that the things that you weren't allowed to do and even the stuff that you did do now are influencing your decisions as a parent? That- oh, absolutely, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my parents were, they, and then they got divorced. So there's a lot of instability. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the big ones. It's like, yeah, mom and dad are together and we're like united and don't screw with us because mm-hmm. uh you know the kids they love to they love to try to get away with anything but i'm like uh-huh. dude i'm way smarter than you <laughs> um, yeah so yeah i mean um yeah just lots of ideas you know that i'm always throwing around them I, mean, mm-hmm. I always say i've been on lots of adventures done lots of fun things but greatest adventure in life is raising kids man it's a it is dynamic kicking kicking your butt around all over the place and uh it's interesting it's mm-hmm. never a dull day no i mean it's you try to do the best you can with the kids that you have and hope you don't screw them up too bad with the things you don't necessarily do. I mean, they definitely don't come with a handbook. No, so no. Yeah. And that's you know, the interesting learning part. on the fly. You know, you, you try to, you, you can only warn somebody so much before they have kids of what it's going to be like. And eventually it's just like, you just got to figure it out. You got to figure out what works for you. I mean, there's, 
they always say you know, there's a hundred different ways to skin a cat. Well, I think raising kids is that same way. There's a hundred different ways yeah. to raise a kid. You know, if you're pro, you know, discipline or against discipline, or what does that discipline mean? You know, do you spank your kids? Do you give them timeouts? And I have no clue what I'm doing, man. I'm just rolling. Yeah. Just rolling. <laughs> rolling days where you, yeah, you just wing it. You're like, well, oh, yeah. I think this is the best choice or the best decision to make. And then, and sometimes it's just, you know, I always grew up wanting to. I'm never gonna be the parent that says, "Well, because I said so." And sometimes there is a situation it's like you tell your kids to do something, and you don't really have a good reason that you can articulate to them to them to understand. It really just comes down to, "No, you can't do that." Just because, like, no, I don't have time to explain why, or you're not old enough to quite grasp the reasons. But mm -hmm. no, because I said so, and that sometimes has to be the acceptable answer when raising kids. Is this probably isn't the best idea? I'm, no, you can't go do that. I can't really tell you why you can't do it, but no, you can't do that. Or you can't watch this show or that kind of stuff. You know, are you ready to have that conversation of, well, why can't I watch that show with you? You, know, you and mama watched it. Why can't I watch it? Well, when you get older, you'll understand. But right now I'm saying, no, you can't watch it because of whatever in your, you know, mind inappropriate thing that might be on there or something that's above their head or whatnot. Yeah. And, and you know, for me, it's uh, my wife, she teaches kindergarten. So, mm -hmm. She's got a different idea of how how to deal with the kids than I do, and it's it works it works well for us. So, um, you know, yeah, they asked me. I'm like, because I said so. <laughs> JT's like, you know, gets down. She can get to their level. So it's it's kind of it's it's a lot of fun. Man. Well, it's good to have that dynamic because sometimes your style works better sometimes. I'm sure her style works better other times, and at least you have that dynamic to go back and forth. It. Yeah, I don't think it's uncommon. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think it's probably middle america the way the way things are done for the most part but um okay so i mean world travel kind of country traveler as far as you know in the u.s anything that you know that has really opened your eyes to you know appreciate or you know think people take kind of for granted um yeah, I got uh, I got lost in uh, the Copper Canyon in Mexico once and uh, for three weeks and um, that is three times the size of the Grand Canyon and you know there's no population there's like some indigenous people that were chased out of there by Cortez I think Cortez um, and we ran into one family that was just way out in the middle of nowhere that was like mm -hmm. didn't speak English speak some native you know Spanish tongue and uh, you know it was with my cousin two you know, gringos that spoke Spanish out of a handbook that we uh, read on our drive down in our beater car that broke down, you know, and um, it, those kids um, guided us out, you know, and uh, on a two-week trip back into um, town. Yeah, so you go to like Latin America, spend a lot of time there, and you see what real poverty there is around the world. Um, you know, I think it's pretty cliche of people, you know, they'll say, oh, first world problems. Well, that's really true, you know, um, yeah. like running water, clean environment, you know, as far as like human waste and garbage. And, you know, when you're dealing with third world problems, like nobody cares about animals. People don't hardly care about other people because they're just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you could live on 20 bucks for two weeks, you know, and I had one instance where, uh, we were in this tiny little town called Bate Pilas and, um, we walked in like 20 miles. This is where the, these kids dropped us in. And 
uh, we went to this market. We had, I think, like 40 bucks left. We spent like five bucks and just, just feast of food. And we stayed at this little lady's house in this little out court in the outside. And uh, there was a family there, a native family. And uh, they didn't have anything. So we're, we're starting to eat, you know, just having just super stoked to have found our way out and having a good time. And then um, we look over and we see them and we're like, you know, these, these people have five kids. No, nobody has shoes. You know, nobody has anything. And we're like, let's give them our food. You know, so we gave them, gave them the food. Um, next morning they come out and they're like the guy in the best that he could speak to us. It's interesting when you go to different places, you don't really have to understand different languages. There's a way that human beings communicate. You can use different gestures mm -hmm. and different, and you can understand somebody. It's actually surprisingly, um, it's kind of a cool thing. Um, and this guy basically just told us, Hey, we want to take you to our shaman. We want to introduce you to our, our tribe of people. And, um, we went and it was, uh, really a cool experience um they took us out at night and we kind of went through some of their rituals with them um and it was just a a neat thing getting on the level of 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 people that um and these are the Tarmahar indians actually they're world-renowned runners or were at the time okay um so they run on tire rubber old tire rubber shoes and uh or sandals actually um, so I think experiences like that, you know, they're, they humbled me at a young age mm -hmm. and, um, people just don't know how good we got. I mean, even, you know, it's a trip too, is like in San Diego, in the ghettos, in the barrios and the, the trashy parts of town, um, there's more wealth in those places than here, you know, cause the welfare mm -hmm. is so good there and it's a trip for you know we come here and jt's just like my wife her name's jt um she can't believe the kids that she's dealing with you know like the poverty mm -hmm. um that we never experienced in a big city mm -hmm. um but yeah you know doing those kind of things around the world like it, it does humble you and it makes you really appreciate what you have and i mean there's no law nobody cares yep. in places like that people make their own law and the tribes type tribe that or small towns, those people decide whether you're guilty or not, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'm sure in the bigger cities they have, you know, more of a nationalistic way of doing things like we do. But, um, yeah, people need to pull it together and realize how lucky we are and how fortunate we are despite our differences. Yeah. I, I always tell people, um, that I work with cause I, I talk to a lot of different p people that span, the political, economic, and educational system, uh, that I think that most of us, like 98% of us, probably agree on more than we disagree on. Mm -hmm. um, if we could just kind of see that. and yeah. uh, but Well, it's that ability to have a conversation about something and realize that you, you might both want the same thing, just how it goes about getting what that thing is, is usually where that difference is, you know. Everybody wants to stop gun violence in one way or another. Mm -hmm. No one wants people to be feloniously murdered by guns or their kids at risk for, you know, gun violence of active shooters, school shooters, all that kind of stuff. But that's not a new thing. I mean, there's been school shooters as long as there's been guns. Yeah. I mean, I've done, you know, research stuff back, you know, there's, you can look it up. There's stuff that's been, oh yeah, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s yep. where people have had 
school shootings. So it's not a new no. concept. People think that it's this new trend or this new violence. You know, it is true that we live in a much less violent time now than we used to. Oh, but. for sure. Yeah, both worldwide and our nation, our communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, everything's relative, you know, to to your expansive knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I loved about here in, in California. I mean, I had so many instances, you know, being a big guy, people want to fight big people. And especially in, uh, in, in, I don't know why, but every time I go to a bar or, you know, I'm in a city, somebody wants to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't conceal carry down there unless you're uh, law enforcement, you're not getting concealed carry. Mm-hmm. Um, here, you know, that was one of the things that drew me in here. I was just like, yeah, first thing I did moved here, conceal carry, don't go anywhere without being able to protect uh, I had one incidence in California that um, I was with my family on a Christmas Eve and somebody tried to fight trying to fight me I'm with my family I'm like that, that'll never happen again that was one of the big yeah. draws that uh, got me out of that place so no, I mean I talked about a little bit on our <clears throat> my podcast I did the people that listen to the one for this is you know I carry a gun not because I'm paranoid but because it you know, I'm prepared. I want to be prepared to protect myself or my family or different things. And, yeah. um, you know, the perspective on the, everyone wants to fight the big guy. I remember in jail, you know, it was that, that if you go, you know, one-on-one against a big guy and you win, oh, I beat the big guy. That mm-hmm. guy was bigger than me. Did you see that? I beat him up. Mm-hmm. But if you lose, well, hey, that guy was a lot bigger than you, man. It's understandable that you lost. Right. Escape so out, right? <laughs> either way, win or lose for them. Right. They have a, a reason that it happened. Mm-hmm. Where, like, for me, I was the littlest guy for a long time at my department or, you know, I was in the jail, that kind of stuff. No one really wanted to fight me because, well, if you win, oh, you beat up the little guy. I mean, who cares if, you know, oh, you pick on the little guy. Or if you lose, it's extra embarrassing. I mean, if, you know, me and you were different people, in you know, in our lives and in this world, and we went into this, you know, we beat up the same person, that person would have two different stories of, Oh, I either won or lost a fight against a big guy or either way, it's bad if you win or lose a fight against the little guy because you are either the bully or the wimp because you lost mm-hmm. that. And so, I mean, a little little perspective, at least that I was told, is that that's kind of one of the reasons why big guys tend to get in more fights that they don't provoke because of that. I mean, little people still do because there are the people out there like, I just want to get in a fight today. So, of course, I'm going to pick the fight with somebody who generally is viewed as weaker because they're smaller or whatnot but i can tell you in the fights that i've been in in this job the little ones are the ones you got to kind of worry about because they're wiry and sometimes they've grown up fighting or that kind of stuff yeah man that was always my thing is uh um i was pretty sheltered and a pretty scared kid um and so i didn't want to fight you know but i was forced to Mm -hmm. and i learned real quick that it size doesn't it really doesn't matter Mm -hmm. um in some cases, it can if you have skill and the other person does too. But I, I learned real quick. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna learn. Got to learn. Got to get some strength. Got to learn to wrestle. Got to got to learn some jujitsu, and uh, you know. Um, yep. Yep. Skill will trump size more often than size will trump skill. I guess the other way around. But there is, you know, there's also those extremes. I mean, I work out, you know, with a guy. I went shooting with him today. He's much bigger than me. You know, actually, you know, you guys were, you know, Eugene. If me and him were to, yeah. do I think I have more? ground skills than he does and that kind of stuff yeah but that's the stuff that's going to probably keep me alive against him with that but if me and him were to get into like an actual if he was really really pissed off me and i was really really pissed off at him likely he's going to win the fight nine times out of ten because that size does play a factor it does when you know you can overpower a technique but 
when you have that will yeah, to when fight. You have that will that yeah. <clears throat> it'll kind of trump that as well. But I can sure. see that you know uh, a well skilled big guy like you know you probably has a much easier time. And plus, it gives you that confidence knowing that if you were put in that same situation now with more skill or a tool to protect yourself, you you have that better mindset, I guess, going into that. That at least you have you know that you're going to win one way or another. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I th- I think too that um, you know, um, as I've gotten older, I didn't fight a whole lot. I've I've gotten into a handful, um, but uh, your mind, you know being able to find you know confidence those sort of things where you can play mind games on people and make them think mm, maybe i shouldn't you know yeah. um but the great equalizer is that concealed carry right <laughs> can't yep. I mean, uh, that's you know it's not always going to stop people but having you know display that weapon in a way that's not going to get you in trouble can prevent stuff or at least it does give you the confidence that you can kind of stand your ground and that's sometimes just that's all it takes sometimes is to stop that is just to stand your ground and let them know that not today, you know, not today, buddy. This isn't happening. And Yeah, and that's very unlikely, right, that it's going to yeah. happen. But, you know, I I always think, you know, the community is important to me. My family is important to me. And I would, I would, um, I'd step up, you know, for anybody um, if I needed to. No, that's good. That's so, a, that's a dying trait, unfortunately. You know, people rather you think so? Their... I don't know. I think. I've, I've thought that in the past and I'm like. You know, I'm not 100 percent sure because you you see people. Um, I think I think that people kind of lose their soul. You know, you can kind of easily get get lost. But when you get put into a, a into a place where you have to perform, I don't know. You could be right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it just all also depends on you know what where again you're consuming your information. You know, the information yeah. that I tend to consume is more related to you know law enforcement, good and or bad. And the stuff that we generally see more often is we see more people recording something happening to mm. the cops as mm. opposed to jumping in and intervening. There are always those people that are going to oh, jump man, in yeah, and I've intervene. I've seen those videos. That pisses me off. But then you also see well, where the cop is obviously losing the fight and yeah. there's people who are recording it and not helping. Regardless of what you feel about you know, law enforcement, they're there to do a job. And that you can agree with them or not agree with them, but allowing somebody to just pummel a cop is you know what does that say about society and our ability to move forward i mean that's that is our law and our justice that's what you know would you you know people say oh i i don't think cops should exist they're a bunch of thugs okay live one day without law enforcement and let me know how oh, that turns a, out on the it's other a fine end. line too people i mean that's the thing too about traveling that you realize it's like law or injustice are it's a very fine line i mean if you think about it um it's very easy to pull something off, you know? I mean, not, not that I ever would, but I mean, the ratio of law enforcement to the population mm-hmm. in, in large, you know, if, if there was um, a, a mass uprising, like a riot. I mean, I remember riots in California when I was young. Uh-huh. Um, you can't control that. And you lose you lose um, complete control. And, and you don't know what that feels like. It's, it's a very helpless feeling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a fine line. And I remember I did a, I did a ride along, um, in another agency. And I remember that one of the first things the, uh, the guy said to me was, Hey, uh, feel free if I'm getting my ass kicked to jump in and give me a hand or run the opposite way. It's up to you. You don't have to. I'm like, I, I, my first thought was like, really, <laughs> you know, but I, I guess it's a thing. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. No, nope. I mean, it was 
something that was taught to me very early on in my career, which stuck with me, especially being a smaller individual when I first started. I mean, I was 138 pounds when I graduated academy, which for a police officer is not very big. I'm mm-hmm. not winning a lot of one-on-one fights at mm-hmm. 138 pounds. But was just be nice to as many people as you can when you're a police officer. Regardless of why you're there dealing with them, it's better to go in being nice. And then if you have to, ratchet it up as opposed to going in as Absolutely. that authoritative, you know, knuckle dragger. I'm just here to, you know, throw everybody in jail and I don't care about any of that. Because, you know, if you're more likely nice to all these citizens, I mean, I had one just the other day where they go there, they're trying to catch me doing something. You know, I'm there for essentially a loud party complaint. I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I get there, there's cars everywhere and there's one shared driveway. I don't know which house all these people are partying at. So I'm walking up to the driveway. I, I park my car out on the road. I come back out and they're at my car recording it, you know, Mm-hmm. Trying to trying to catch me doing something wrong, so they can throw it up on social media and that kind of stuff. That so you're not you don't have a warrant, blah 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 blah. I was in the right. I knew what I was doing. I mm-hmm. knew I could walk on the road. It's a driveway. Anybody can walk down your driveway and knock on your door. It's mm-hmm. not illegal, regardless if you're a police officer or a citizen. Effect, you know, it's, it's known as or related to. If a mailman can go there, we can go there. Right. If your mailman's in your backyard, yeah, that's not allowed. They're not supposed to be back there. So a police officer generally shouldn't be in your backyard depending on the circumstances. I mean, that's a whole other story, but you know, it was, you know, they're more or less trying to catch you slipping into that kind of stuff, but I was nice to them. I explained what's going on. And by the end of it, they were shaking my hand and thought it was, you know, I was the you know nicest guy. Cause I wasn't there. Yeah. I got called because people were complaining about you, but I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to, they have an issue. You have, you're saying they're calling you all the time. So by the time, you know, I didn't want to say made friends, but we left on a friendly accord. But what that all comes to is, you know, what I was talking about that my, uh, one of my sergeants told me early on is if you're nice to everybody, when you're in that knockdown drag out fight with somebody, if somebody at least respects you or at least knows that, hey, that cop was cool with me, they at least aren't going to come get that sucker punch or kick you in the head or whatever. So now you're, you know, at least you know that they might either one, jump in and help you or two, they're at least not going to make the situation more unsafe for you. Most likely they're not going to be the ones that say, oh, here's my free shot. I've always been waiting for to kick a cop while he's down, literally. And that's stuck me for a long time. I'd much rather treat people with as much respect as I can and give them a fair shake and do that kind of stuff because I don't want them to, I don't want that crowd to turn on me because, oh, you're that jerk cop. Why would I ever jump in to help you? Or, hey, you're a jerk cop, so I automatically believe that what you're doing is probably, you're being a jerk to that guy, so I'm going to jump in. I'm going to help that, pull that guy off when you're trying to arrest him, that kind of stuff. And up to this point in my career, I've never had an issue where I've, I felt the crowd was going to turn on me in a bad way. And I've been in the situations where at least they didn't interfere. It was Mm -hmm. at least that, which I'm, you know, not saying everybody's out there to get cops or that, you know, the majority of people aren't going to do bad against them. But I've seen the videos, you know, we talked about that where they're just recording and the cop is literally in a fight for his life. And they're just, Mm -hmm. you know, either cheering the guy on, which is the worst of all the videos, or at least not doing anything. So what would you do if I was your father mother brother sister kid or whatever they're the ones that that's happening to would you not want that cop to intervene and help but then yet you're not willing to do that that's for me that's where i so going all the way back to what you're talking about that's where i consume a lot of mine is what i see is the more anti you know of that but i've i've seen plenty of other videos and others and you know being a ccw carrier where i've seen where sometimes it's been a ccw holder that has intervened and used lethal force to stop a, 
attacker against police. So there are probably just as much, but like I said, where you consume your media, where you consume your information. And in my opinion, it's not as sensational of a story when everything kind of works out in the end. You know, you, you rarely see the, re- the redaction or the retraction or that kind of stuff of, you know, when things go the opposite way in mainstream media. They want the sensational cop did bad, firefighter did bad, somebody did bad. You're always, <clears throat> when you're ever in a position that I've seen in where your face is representative of the public in some way, you're always known as that. If I was to do something off-duty, it would be known as off-duty police officer does this. Right. It would never be GR did this. Right. If it would even make it in the, the paper. But you don't always see it as good or people, you know, it's, but I think, you know, to your account also, it's the vocal minority of that as well. I'm sure, like I said, 98% of people probably support law enforcement and they just, but they just go about their day. They don't think twice about it one way or the other. Yeah. And then, you you know, if you were to by chance find yourself in that situation, well, for me, man, like, you know, working and uh, not in law enforcement, I worked with law enforcement a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always respect them because you know, I, there's a quite a few handfuls of incidents with big gangs and, you know, small riots and parties and things where uh, those guys drew their guns. And the only thing between 20 people and uh, six people were, was one law enforcement officer. And I was just, you know, I always respected that, but never quite really understood the job. Um, when we moved here, we did, uh, with the sheriffs, they did that community outreach thing where they <clears throat> put you through this, it's kind of a scenario training thing that I think they put law enforcement locally into. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a virtual reality type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it with my wife more just to get her comfortable with, uh, concealed carry and, and, uh, I was impressed with it. Um, because, you know, they put you in scenarios and they were showing you how a law enforcement officer thinks about the scenario. And it's like, it's a lot different from civilian, the way a civilian thinks. Mm-hmm. And that's what actually got me more interested in law enforcement. I'm like, man, this is a tough job. This is a, um, definitely, you got to use your head. You probably got to use your physical body sometimes. Like, it's it's kind of a, a well-rounded in my opinion, I was just like, this is, yeah. this is interesting. Nope. I mean, at- and, and <clears throat> that, that, uh, agency, one of the things that caught my attention was they're like, you know what, um, here we want people to be concealed carry. We want you to be able to protect yourself because we're not always going to be there. And I was like, mm-hmm. the, at any place that's willing to admit that they don't have all the answers and aren't going to be there for everything. Like I'm all in on that, man. I, I like that, that somebody can actually say that. Cause I've, you know, in California and Wisconsin places, like people have too much pride to say that. It's like, you're not going to always be everywhere. Yeah. Most of the times you're not going to be, you're yeah. going to be in the aftermath. And it's like, you know, yeah. you gotta learn to protect yourself. If you need to. No, I mean, I've, I've seen the, the quote, you know, when seconds matter, police are minutes away. And that is very true that even in, you know, active shooters, all that kind of stuff, unless, you know, if it's at a school and there's an SRO there, even with, you know, a school resource officer is there, you're still talking 30 or 40 seconds at the, fastest mm-hmm. for stuff to even happen but usually most active shooters are over within less than two minutes and cops get there usually between five and ten minutes later so that three minute lo- that up to that five minutes you're on your own i mean don't think that you know police are going to get there and f- solve that problem before it's over most of the times and so you know i give i give you know credit to the agency as well you know to step up and say and, and i've done active shooter trainings where i've gone to schools and that kind of stuff when i was the school resource and explained that that for this first unknown period of time, it's just you. And what are you going to do? You got to make that choice. Are you going to fight? Are you going to flee? 
or are you going to hide? I mean, I you know, the, and you know, it's run, hide, fight is a big thing that's going on. And they've tried to change other things around and that kind of stuff. Everybody, right. everybody wants to reinvent the wheels so they can get their slice of the pie and get their you know bag of cash at the end of it. But well, most people don't really war game things either. You know, I think that that's something that most people don't do. Mm-hmm. For me, yeah, I do everything everywhere I go. I'm always thinking that. Uh, am I weird? Probably, but I don't think I, so. I like doing it. You no. know, keeps me <laughs> keeps me going. Yeah. But. And and it sounds like from your perspective, you know, going on multiple ride-alongs, doing the Citizens Academy or something, whatever your the listeners might call it in their jurisdiction. I mean, I encourage everybody to go, but I'm guessing it sounds like you'd probably encourage most people to at least look into that a little bit, get a get a different perspective of yeah, that's what the it's thing. Like. Yeah, like I put your, you put yourself out there, you know, and and do a ride-along or do something like that that um, takes you out of your just every, every day. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the world is a lot different place, and it's a, uh, you know, I have I have a lot of young people that I see at the hospital, and like, you know, we'll we'll start talking, and a lot of them will say they're bored. And I'm like, dude, if you're bored, um, you're doing something wrong. You need to you need to reevaluate your situation because uh, this this planet, this country, where we're at, like, <laughs> it's awesome, man. There's just so much to get into, so many things to do. Yeah. We're um, on the land of opportunity. I mean, in more ways than one. Yeah, and and I mean anywhere in the world, it's just it's an ethical place to be here on Earth, you know, and uh, to be uh, yeah living. So nope, it's good. I mean, it's definitely you know a different perspective than we've you know had on of someone who's been in public service and has seen the other side of it, but then someone who's also you know traveled around either by choice or by you know chance and that kind of stuff. That to see that not all things are bad, not all things are good either. That you know there are just different perspectives that are out there and the people need to re- recognize that and respect that not everybody's going to see it your way. And that's the beauty of living in this country is that we're allowed to disagree. We're allowed to not have the same opinions on things, but we're, we've seen it fall short lately is that people isolate themselves into those silos and defend it at all costs. And even, you know, at the, to the point of, you know, almost violence and that kind of stuff where, well, it's tribal mentality, right? It's a gang mentality that uh, pl- politics puts us all into these paradigms, you know, uh, against each other. Um, I don't think it's one person's fault or the other. Really, it's it's the leadership. It's a leadership problem. Um, and unfortunately, I believe an intentional leadership problem because um, uh, it's been going on a long time, you know, and it just it keeps building and building. And, you know, now we're kind of at an apex, unfortunately, in our country and uh you know, hopefully in other countries too, you know, this is, uh, ups and downs, right? It's all cyclical and we're kind of at, uh, one of those points where we got to make some changes and make some decisions or, uh, no, I definitely agree. Yeah. So definitely interesting times. I I don't think, I think what we're going to see, um, is something more along the lines of what we saw maybe in the sixties, you know, as far as like, uh, social problems go. It's yeah. interesting. No, so it's definitely, you know, like I say, we're at that kind of tipping point where yeah. it can get way worse, or we can work to make it better. Or you know, that old adage that it has to get worse before it gets better. Sometimes, mm-hmm. um, you know, you want to talk about times when people have been very patriotic. You know, look at like World War II, you know, those types of stuff. But then Vietnam might have started out that way, but then it kind of goes towards I me. Mean, they're not really as supporting. I'm not just talking about the table, just of the government in general. And then fast forward to Desert Storm, you know, here and there a little bit, but then 9-11 hits and everybody's flying their flags 
Everybody yeah. is. Yeah, you, I remember that. You, was... you probably couldn't find a more patriotic country. No. At the time than right then, but now we've been so far removed from that. I mean, well, information has changed in the way that we digest it and are fed it and uh, how we accept it in different ways. You know, that is the most fascinating thing. I think of this whole social experiment So make no, make no uh, mistake. There's definitely social engineering going on in our country, I think. And, uh, um, you just got to open your eyes a little bit, you know, and have a little bit of common sense and you can see uh, a lot of the writing on the wall, but, Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, the way information travels, it's, uh, I mean, there is a, you know, they, they say viral, but if we break that down to what it is, it's a virus. And so the, you know, the, the virility of information can be good or bad. I mean, they use viruses for good, but then, you know, people inherently also think that viruses can be bad and that how that information's put out there can be good or bad. And then how people ingest it can be good or bad. And if they don't know to look into other views or have that open mind, that's when things get kind of out of hand or out of proportion. I mean, in my mind, I mean, probably a heated debate is, you know, the media caused a lot of the problems in Ferguson yeah, and perpetuated to the right. point of where it was so bad. Where, you know, if people just took that minute to digest what happened and look into it a little bit more, it probably wouldn't have been that bad. But that was kind of, you know, in my experience, the most recent tipping point to kind of cause this divide of pro-cop versus anti-cop, which is then turned in, not, you know, I'm not going to say that all that nexus, but from what I can see where there's, you know, the fingers that kind of go out from there is that's kind of caused some race issues because, you know, that's really, you know, probably the start of the Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. movement, which is then, you know, essentially divided our country, I think, again. Again, not, yeah. Not completely. I mean, I still think they're, the majority is fine. They're, yeah, I agree. They, there isn't that hate. There isn't that, you know, I'm white, you're black, you know, Hispanic, or all those different types of things. The people are just, people generally just, they get along. They don't have those animosities. But then there's that vocal minority who then takes, you know, either side of it and takes little things and makes it so much worse. I mean, and I'm not a very political person, but this last election showed me that it wasn't about what I can do for you. It's what is that other person not going to do for you? Here's all the baggage that person comes with. Here's all the bad things that person is, as opposed to really trying to sell themselves. It was selling the propaganda against that other person. And that's what's really dividing. I think a lot of it is that people are looking through a different lens for what people's intentions are. Instead of looking at someone's intentions as being inherently good, they, they probably had their, their intent was to be nice or good or whatever. Now they're kind of looking at it through some people looking at it through that different lens of, what's this person's ulterior motives? What was the bad this person was actually trying to do? What's the negative that was kind of going, which is very unfortunate because I think things get lost in that where people are doing very noble things that then get skewed into something different. It's the, you know, again, my experience in mostly law enforcement, it's the the cop, you know, buys the homeless person some shoes and then someone turns that into, oh, they're just doing that for this reason or that. Or, you know, they didn't do it, you know, they did it just to get social media or you know, that doesn't right all the wrongs that perceived that they had done or whatever. That's just, sometimes people can't, you you, you can't, what is it? Uh, uh, I can't think of the, the saying right off the top of my head. I've had a long day, but, uh, you know, you just can't win sometimes. It's no matter what I do, I can't win. I do something nice. People do that. If I, you know, don't do something nice. Oh, you just walked right past that. That it's unfortunately the vocal people 
are looking through stuff nowadays seems like through more of a negative lens. Well, I don't think there's anything different between looking at like a high political office, the shenanigans that are going on now mm. that have been going on forever. Mm. Um, and, uh, what's happening with law enforcement. Um, you know, it's, it's assassination, you know, not of the physical type, but mm. of, of character and, mm. um, many different ways you know like it, there's no difference between what's happening with and not that not i'm not taking a side right or wrong mm-hmm. um but what's happening with the uh kavanaugh guy that's going for the supreme court mm-hmm. nomination and what happens with the police officers right like you get put into this it, it is different it's different mm-hmm. but um there is social media judges you and convicts you before mm-hmm. evidence or yep. Before there's any, there like law is changing. Yeah, the way that law is interpreted and used is changing. You know, and it's a it's a court of public, and it always has been a court of public opinion. But information traveled slower, and yeah. people were patient and actually allowed, mm-hmm. and were tolerant. You know, to understand what was happening, and now it just travels so fast, and you have agendas and different things going on um, that uh, uh, it's not healthy, man. Mm-hmm. It's not good, you know, and um, it's easy to jump on a bandwagon, yeah. you know, or to to find something that um, everybody's had. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody has had an issue with with a with somebody in law enforcement, and it's always for something not good. Mm-hmm. It's the only time you talk to law enforcement. Mostly, in my in my experience, it's like I think I've gotten pulled over. I only got one ticket for speeding in my entire life. Not to say that I've been um, on the straight and narrow my whole life. But, uh, and when that happened, I was just like, yeah, I won't forget that. I won't forget that guy either. You know, he was kind of a, kind of a jerk and it was here in Washington actually. Yeah. But, um, no, uh, and that's, um, like the, the, the related to, you know, the, the Kavanaugh thing, you know, law enforcement, I think that one way to, to look at that is that people are all the, you know, are trying to be put into either those silos, either you, you know, the people who support them, People look at, well, you support everything that he's ever done. And the people who are against him is, well, I hate everything that's ever about that person. Mm-hmm. And like, you have to be in one camp or the other. And the people who are in the middle tend to be the people who, like, let's just see what happens. Let's wait till the information comes out. But those people don't always speak up as much or they're not heard when they do speak up because it's the people on those, those other two silos of either this person can do no wrong or all that person does is wrong. And I think law enforcement is kind of the same perspective is that you get the super – police can do no wrong, you know, right. absent a couple bad apples versus all police do is they're all corrupt. All police agencies are corrupt and they, you know, they're just a bunch of thugs. They were, they were bullied as a kid. So now they want to be bullies and that kind <laughs> right, of stuff. And right. that sometimes you can't change those people's minds, but they are on both sides, that vocal minority. And then the, the majority who just, just let's see how this plays out. Let's get the information first. You know, let's not, convict everybody before due processes you know you know one of the big things is though i think about this um in a in a large scope like looking down on the battlefield from the mountaintop mm-hmm. uh, that people don't I, I don't think they they discredit is or they don't think about as much as um all the things that are happening in our country are a result of our culture you know and the things our value system that's changed so much like when i was young I love that gangster rap stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it was about. It was a cool thing. I liked it. I loved, I loved Tupac and 
uh, Biggie and all all these, you know, Nas and Snoop Dogg and all those guys. Because um, I got a little bit older, I was like, eh. I had kids. I was like, no way, man. I can't even believe I listened to this. And, and you listen to this stuff in the lyrics and, and people, a lot of people don't understand what it's like to live in a ghetto, you know, where uh, it's a totally different set of rules. In a lot of places, there is no law in those places. In the United mm-hmm. States, and a lot of places, I, and I've been in them, law enforcement will not even go into because it's so lawless. So there is no law. Um, and that culture, those people are propped up as our idols. You know, We're looking at these idiots, and it's not black people, white people, Mexican, Asian. It's, it's, it spans the whole. And these are the people that we lift up and want our kids of. And these idiots of all races, all creeds, right? Um, human beings that play sports, right, do the same do the same things, you know, and they propagate this, and it, and it's a cultural issue, mm. you know, that we accept. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think um, is the main problem. Yeah, it, you know, like just like people consume their media's different ways, people put more value upon the actions of what they see as their heroes. You know, what the rappers were saying, and the you know, oh, this person, you know, I look up to this person. And they said something, therefore that holds more power. You know, this celebrity I like or this sports athlete I like, their opinion matters to me more than the average, you know, quote-unquote average person. Even though the average person may have more experience to be able to talk about whatever that is, but because because the celebrity says that, one, it must be true, or two, it must hold more weight. You know, they must, they must know more than me. And so that's where I see it a lot, that, well, such and such a person says that this is what happened, and they're they're a celebrity, they're rich or they're famous or I look up to them. So they, it must be what happened as opposed to the average, you know, if, if you ask a bunch of people, you know, here's a celebrity and they think this, here's the clerk at the local store and they think that who's going to, you know, which side is going to have more followers almost every time is going to be that celebrity hero that people have as opposed to the, your average Joe, even though that person more often than not, probably is right or has a better, healthier perspective on whatever that thing is that you're, you know, debating or you know, having conflict in. Well, and your and your reality, right, is um, based off of your experiences mm-hmm. and largely other people's experiences. Uh, and I, that's why I'm always like, you know, I teach my kids. I'm like, you be careful what you read, what you listen to, mm-hmm. who you listen to, because. Um, mm-hmm. Those things are kind of what you become and you can change, you know, as you get older and um, you open up yourself to something and, you know, it can, it can have some um, pretty mind blowing mm-hmm. epic things that can change in your paradigm, but it can also have negative ones, mm-hmm. you know, so. No, I mean, I grew up, you know, knowing that your actions and words have consequences and people put a negative, con- you know, a negative undertone of consequence, but consequences can be a good thing. I mean, it's. If you work hard, <laughs> uh, a consequence of working hard is you become successful, generally. Or sometimes a consequence of something you know bad. You know, people associate to be more being bad with you know everything kind of has a consequence. It's just is it good or is it gonna be a good outcome or a bad outcome, and that can go into what you're listening to. You know the consequence of sometimes listening to negative things is that you lead a more negative life because that's all you know is negativity as opposed to people who might live a more positive life the consequence of that is they tend to have a more positive you know outcome more positive results and that kind of stuff you know it's the 
how you treat your employees. Generally, people will take less pay and you know maybe not as good at working conditions for a boss that they like a lot more than you can pay some you know there's some agencies you know again in law enforcement and i'm sure you might have experienced in firefighters that they probably couldn't have paid you enough to go work there because of either the, the conditions the people the administration or whatever that you know we, we've had multiple people on this podcast that have said i'll never go work for seattle pd and i don't want to bash on seattle pd but there's people you couldn't pay me enough to go work there in their mind regardless of you know that situation and so it's the consequences of actions that people do. It can be good or bad. That if you, you know, treat people good, the consequence of that is they'll tend to be more loyal and they'll tend to stick with it even in rough times, as opposed to treating them bad. The consequence of that is disloyalty, dishonesty, no sense of sticking it out. And I want I'll, I'll help you get through this rough patch because I know there should be light at the end of that tunnel. You know, so again, consequences can go either way. Yeah, and I mean that speaks to like failure as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was never really taught about that. Failure is an interesting thing, right? Because um, um, I was always like, you fail at something that you screwed that up, you know. And <clears throat> it took a long time for me to realize that no, I mean I think the failures are the biggest failures in my life are the times that I learn the most mm-hmm. about myself and about life and what it is. And grew from that and made it made some great things from it. But uh, yeah, it's a funny story. Uh, my fire captain on my last day brings me into his office. Badass guy. Um, uh, and he goes, uh, well, you enjoying your last day of being a badass? And uh, that stuck with me. I think I was, uh, I don't know how old I was. I was. I was still young enough to, I was pissed off they said that, you know. And so I was kind of just chasing after, okay, what's the next big thing I'm going to do? Cause I got to prove him wrong. It was kind of funny. Cause yeah, he, uh, got in my head, you know, and I didn't realize at the time I was like, what a dick, you know, why, why would you say that? And, uh, um, but I know he was saying it cause he's like, dude, you got, you later down the road, you're probably going to see, you got the potential to do things and you're going to remember, <laughs> you know? So it's kind of funny that, uh, you have people like that, that show up in your life and, do and say things like that you yeah. know that uh wow we went way off yeah from uh what we were talking about but nope it's all good yeah, yeah. well we'll kind of wrap it down here a little bit if anybody's got home from what they're doing I, i'm on the hook for making dinner tonight and stuff but anything you want to kind of leave any parting words of wisdom or that kind of stuff um from the world travel yeah put yourself out there i think uh put yourself out there um get after it uh, find some good role models and uh, thanks for having me on man appreciate yeah. it it was good no, it was good talking definitely to you definitely good and you know we're going to end on a little bit of a kind of higher note I think we got kind of you know a little uh, little serious there for a little bit so it was, you know, we talked about you know starting this kind of new thing what is you know Tony wakes up puts on his pants like everybody else uh, you know I think I see you wear shorts more than other people but uh, what's your uh, what's your EDC what are you leaving the house with um, well, I try not to forget my, uh, concealed carry permit, That's good. which happens from time to time, but I always got, uh, my sidearm, uh, can't leave without the cell phone. Um, can't forget the pants. No, it's always appreciated. Yeah. That's, uh, sunglasses, but I, I just, that's just a habit. I don't really wear those anymore. You don't need them here, but yeah, yeah that's it. 
So you're pretty minimal then. I mean, probably yeah. just keys, wallet, and yeah. Cell I phone? take that back. I always have. I always have a a, a, a small backpack that I got some uh, geek out stuff in. You know, just from my experience um, that I carry with me into the hospital out and wherever I go, pretty much. Um, can't tell you what's in it. <laughs> No, nope, that's good. I mean, I've tried to do the backpack thing. I mean, I own lots of backpacks. I mean, I collect backpacks like girls collect shoes. And it's <laughs> right to me that, you know, a backpack something I wish I could carry more often. But my paranoia of somebody breaking into my car and stealing it, it keeps prevents me from always carrying a backpack and being that prepared person on the road and that kind of stuff. So it's cool that, you know, you carry a backpack and make that choice to do more often because it's something that, you know, as guys, we, you know, we don't carry purses for the most part. So having that extra stuff in there, you know, whatever's. Yeah. Most of the time I think it gets left in the truck, uh, or, you know, I take it into work with me, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, I, I definitely don't carry around like a Merce. Yeah. No, I've just never had that, that discipline. Even though, like I said, I've, the times I've had a backpack, I've always been appreciative. I was just at training for the last couple of days and I packed a backpack every day and I had my lunch, changed (laughs) the clothes in there. And, you know, my water drinks, you know, medicine, that kind of stuff, because, you know, I was driving back and forth. And so I don't want to get, you know, car sick. And Mm -hmm. so I was having to take, you know, medicine for that. But then I was also, you know, I'm getting older, so I get heartburn all the time. So I have my heartburn (laughs) meds in there and that kind of stuff. So it's nice having all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's cool that you you carry that. And, you know, I'm full support of people being CCW carriers. And that's not just in law enforcement because, you know, it's always good to have another good guy in the fight. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I definitely appreciate, you know, you coming on. Um, as always, you can follow our, uh, me on Instagram at discussions around a table. I'm still waiting for people to send in questions. I haven't gotten people to send any questions or topic ideas. So, you know, be the first one to kind of get out there and I'll give you a shout out that, um, where it came from. If you want it, if you don't want the shout out, you know, you let us know that, you know, you don't want any credit or that kind of stuff, but, uh, definitely define us discussions around the table on Instagram and, you know, tell all your friends, like subscribe wherever you consume your podcast, you know, iTunes, Google play, Spotify. Um, I'm seeing a lot of traffic from you know a lot of places i just looked the other day it looks like i got some people in canada so shout out to people in canada listen to this it's, um someone in australia so shout out to you if you're listening to this as well that you know, i appreciate that kind of worldwide reach that i'm kind of getting now i'm you know still not very big i have less than 500 total downloads but to me that's i would have never guessed that 500 people or 500 different events of someone listened to this podcast to me is crazy which you know is not even a drop in the bucket compared to some but being a little startup you know only 13 episodes in having 500 different downloads is pretty cool yeah that's cool so i hope you guys enjoyed the episode the views information or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved you're not representing the organization current former employer agency community group government entity or individual not present during the recording the host of discussions around the table and their guests are not subject matter experts in the topics that are discussed unless strictly expressed by the host or the guests any information given on the podcast is done so in good faith if malicious intent or intentional misrepresentation while the host and their guests have taken every precaution to ensure the content is both current and accurate, errors can occur. We make no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information on this podcast. We should not be held liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its use. It is the listener's responsibility to verify their own facts and form their own opinions. The listener should consult a licensed professional familiar with their particular factual situation or advice before making any legal, financial, business, or personal decisions based on the information from this podcast. Any action taken based on the information of this podcast is strictly at your own risk.